This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're turning our attention to the State Office of the Medicaid Inspector General, which recently produced its annual report for 2022, noting that they helped the state avoid more than $2.6 billion in Medicaid costs and recoup more than $800 million in Medicaid overpayments. To discuss the recent activity of the Medicaid watchdog and learn about the office more broadly, we're joined by Frank Walsh, the acting Medicaid Inspector General. Welcome to the show, Frank. Hi, Dave. Glad to be here. So for starters, why do we have a state office of the Medicaid Inspector General, and why does it exist in its current form as an independent entity, so to speak? Yes. Uh, so uh, essentially, the OMIG's, the OMIGS role is is really to be the protector, um, you know, of the resources that go into the go into the Medicaid program. In essence, we're we're here to you know enhance the integrity of the program by preventing and detecting, you know, fraudulent, abusive, and wasteful practices within the program. And it was established as an independent entity, uh, you know, recognizing that. That function was different than um, the the function of sort of operating operating the program. So your most recent report for 2022 notes that uh, the office helped the state avoid uh, more than 2.6 billion dollars in unnecessary Medicaid costs. How does that happen? Are you just looking over somebody's shoulders and saying, "No, no, no, I, I don't think so," or is it a little different than that? It's a little different. It's a little different than that. So you know, essentially, what we're doing is we're looking at the program. Uh, we're we're working with um, various stakeholders. Uh, you know, at at multiple levels. You know, both sort of programmatic entities like the Department of Health, the Office of Mental Health. You know, our state agencies, and working with you know federal officials and law enforcement. Um, all to sort of identify, um, you know, trends within the program that merit investigation. So then when it comes to the $2.6 billion figure, what's, say, the bulk of that coming from? The, the bulk of that's coming from activities that we put in place to stop Medicaid from spending in the spending in the first instance. So there's various various. Um, you know, sort of rules within the program, and one of the main rules is that Medicaid is the is the payer of last resort. So a significant amount of those dollars re- relate to our ability to go back and to collect from other other forms of health insurance that um, you know were making payments for similar services, and and it's sort of using those dollars in exchange for the Medicaid dollar. And I guess, what is it about the current system that results in us needing a second check, a safety measure to ensure that Medicaid is the pair of last result? Is there some sort of flaw in the way the Medicaid system is set up? Do we not have smart people working in the Medicaid office? What's the root of the problem? I, I would I would say that it's that it's that it's none of that. I, I think that it is, you know, just the overall complexity of of the healthcare system, and just sort of making sure that it's all sort of working it's all sort of working together, in, you know meeting the expectations or meeting the needs of the of the population and you know particularly the medicaid population and their and their healthcare needs it's a very very uh, large and uh, and complex uh, program to um, oversee 
So w what about the other side of the equation, figuring out when inappropriate payments had been made? How do you go about doing that? So a lot of the work that we do there is is really looking at what the what the rules and and requirements are for the program. So we don't we don't make those rules. Those rules are made, um, you know, by the by the federal government, by the programmatic agencies that that are there. And those and those rules are those rules are established. We, um, you know, we do everything that we can in order to sort of inform uh, the the healthcare provider population as to what those as to what those requirements are and to ensure that they're sort of complying with them and then we then we come you know sort of on the uh, on the reverse side to sort of make sure that those requirements are being met by the providers well, for listeners just joining us, we're speaking with Frank Walsh, the acting state Medicaid inspector general, whose office recently released their report on their 2022 activities. So I guess it's the same sort of question stemming from the way you're able to stop payments. What is it in this case that allows the office of Medicaid inspector general to recognize that a payment was inappropriately made or an overpayment was made, whereas the existing people making the payments don't pick it up. Good question. So I so I think so I think there where we're able to stop payments. Um, you know, we would we would sort of um, you know make those changes, make those modifications in in the program. But not every not every inappropriate payment within the within the system is sort of capable of being sort of stopped in the first instance. There is still that need to conduct the investigations and the audits that uh, staff at the Omega um, you know conduct uh, to sort of really look at what the what the claims pattern is. Um, in in retrospect, and then you know go out and you know take take actions in order to recover those inappropriate dollars, and to overall the intent is to sort of change to modify the the practice. And in 2022, your office reported that it completed uh, 2,385 investigations. How are those divided between? Like macro problems, given the scope of the issue that you're looking at, considering how big uh, of a part of the budget Medicaid is, and how many of those investigations are really granular decision making, looking at maybe individual cases of Medicaid payouts. I think the the vast the 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 vast majority of that number are are really looking at individual, um, you know, individual instances, you know, within within the within the program or within sort of provider operations. So those those investigations are really stemming from um, referrals that we receive or allegations that we receive within the, within the program. And then we're reviewing those and, you know, kind of carrying those investigations forward where we're where we're identifying instances of fraud. We're, refer, we're referring that to the attorney general's office, as is our as is our requirement or to other or to other law enforcement agencies. Agencies where they are, you know, in the waste and abuse, we're taking we're taking corrective action uh, within within our operations. A lot of good follow up questions based on that answer. And my first would be, uh, given the scope of Medicaid spending, do you feel like you have all the resources you need to police this huge part of the budget? I mean, does two thousand three hundred eighty five investigations finalized? 
represent all of the inquiries that you might have had, or does that represent just a response to as many of the cases as you could uh, get your arms around in one year? Good question. I mean, I, I think that that is, you know, that is um, reflective of uh, what a, um, you know, sort of what uh, an appropriate state is. Um, you know, well, certainly there, well, certainly with additional resources and, uh, you know, more, more investigations, there, there's more than enough sort of opportunities, um, you know, to sort of look there. But I think that, you know, in, in essence, we're, we're, we're probably appropriately sized, uh, you know, to do what we do. And, and, and that's sort of also reflective of, um, you know, an, an additional element of our mission, which is, which is really to kind of work with the, work with the provider community um, and, you know, kind of leverage the activities that they're doing because the vast majority of providers are, you know, are trying to do the right thing. They're not in the, uh, they're they're not in the sort of fraudulent category. Um, you know, they're they're just trying to sort of understand and you know meet their meet their responsibilities within the program. For those providers and individuals, though, who are nefarious, so to speak, your office made 199 referrals to the Medicaid Fraud and Control Unit in the Attorney General's office, which you mentioned uh, in response to what you end up doing with these investigations. Um, generally speaking, what's the basis for these referrals to the AG's office? And do you keep track of what they end up doing with these cases? We, we do keep we do keep track, um, you know, and, you know, the, and they run they run the gamut, um, you know, and, you know, a, a lot of them have, uh, you know, sort of been reported out in in various instances. And, you know, and we do work very closely with um, with the attorney general's office and sort of following those and following those cases or with the law enforcement offices to sort of follow those cases through to through to progression and you know kind of when we get the um you know when we kind of resolve resolve the case um you know those those are all um reported out so of those referrals to the ag's office do say a majority or some certain number that you're aware of get resulting in some sort of criminal cases or does the ag's office then have to refer to local prosecutors how does that work I think I mean essentially we make allegations of fraud so we we follow the case to the to the point where we believe that there's there's a credible allegation of fraud and then we refer it to um you know the attorney general's office and then they then they have sort of the responsibility to uh you know to further investigate that with with our with our assistance and then they make the they make the determination as to um you know how to how to prosecute that case you know, I'm reluctant to, you know, to to sort of place a, um, you know, place a number on, you know, kind of how how many kind of move through the move through the case. But I mean, there certainly is, uh, you know, a, a very good working relationship with them, and they're trying to, you know, prosecute those cases to the uh, greatest extent possible. And after a quick break, we'll continue our conversation with Frank Walsh, the acting state Medicaid inspector general, whose office recently released their report on their 2022 activities, which included saving the state more than $3.4 billion in unnecessary Medicaid payments.
Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. listeners just joining us, we're speaking with Frank Walsh, the acting Medicaid inspector general, whose office just put out its annual report for 2022, which notes they helped the state avoid $2.6 billion in Medicaid costs and recouped more than $800 million in Medicaid overpayments. So how does your work every year inform decisions and regulations for the Medicaid spending in New York State? For example, when you find maybe trends or issues of overpayments or inappropriate payments being authorized, do you tell someone who then maybe makes changes to the way things are green lit or is it siloed, so to speak, or are the instances that you uh, look into so case specific that they can't be utilized to prevent future fraud? No, uh, very, very good question, and 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 I would say that we're we're working we're working collaboratively with our partners in in government to sort of identify the trends that we're seeing and to make correct corrections on the fly as we go. Where we're identifying different patterns, we're we're trying to inform our programmatic agencies that you know changes changes may be necessary in order to address those address those in the future you know i would say that there is a a regular and ongoing you know discussion back and forth well do you find that there's receptive audiences whether it's in the medicaid spending side of things or maybe even legislators if you want to make changes to state laws governing medicaid spending and medicaid oversight I think for the most part, there's receptive audiences on on all sides. Within the Medicaid program, I mean, it's such a large program of great expense and great importance, um, you know, that, you know, sort of everyone wants to make sure that those dollars are being used as efficiently as they can be used for their intended purpose. So we find that where where we're making recommendations, there generally is an interest in carrying those through. Well, do you have an outstanding wish list of regulatory changes that you think Medicaid should be making or that leg- the legislature should be implementing in terms of new laws? Nothing outstanding, um, you know, just, you know, kind of continued sort of focus on establishing policies that, that are reflective of uh, you know the need to to maintain sort of integrity within the program, and 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 try to prevent those you know those bad 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 actors from um, you know getting into the program and you know mis- misusing the resources. Is there a case to be made that from one perspective, waste is a bad thing, but from uh, another perspective? waste might actually be the difference between a New Yorker getting access to a certain service or treatment that they might not otherwise have been able to receive and therefore not necessarily something that they would think of as a waste? 
there's always sort of that, you know, sort of push and pull, um, you know, where we as a regulating agency are sort of coming in and we're enforcing the requirements requirements of the program. And, you know, well-meaning, uh, well-meaning providers that are, you know, kind of operating, operating with that within that space, you know, kind of have a difference of opinion with regard to us coming in and, you know, kind of making the making the findings that we have. The, the, the one thing that I would say is that the that the process that we have established is to try and sort of have a meeting of the minds with regard to, you know, the requirements that are put in place. So, I mean, the process does sort of speak to, you know, we're, we're coming in, we're working with the, we're working with the providers. We want to engage with them. We want to understand, you know, kind of how the requirements that we're, we're, we're trying to sort of enforce how they met that requirement. And to the extent that they're able to sort of uh, provide that, you know, clarity that those requirements are met, then, you know, we we wouldn't have a finding. But but ultimately, at the end of the day, the intent is to sort of get to a point where there is general agreement, maybe not, you know, approval, but general agreement that this is the problem, and you know where there where there continues to be a disagreement, then there is the opportunity for them to uh, continue to to utilize their you know their due process rights and to you know proceed uh, to challenge that finding um, through an administrative hearing or you know through litigation. In response to the opioid epidemic, the people who have argued that there needs to be more availability of certain drugs have targeted this issue of prior authorization as a real barrier to access. But I'm curious from your perspective, is prior authorization of certain medications and certain treatments a valuable tool in preventing waste? The prior authorization is a is a useful tool, but I also believe that there you know there is the opportunity to sort of have that policy discussion about whether and to what extent you use you use the tool. While the tool is valuable, the policy discussion is is equally valuable. And in the landscape of state oversight, how much overlap is there between? your office and say the state controller's office, which has oversight over contracts and also audits government operations, including how Medicaid dollars are doled out. Yes. And, you know, and I think that there is a good deal of collaboration. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that the that the roles the roles overlap. Um, you know, the controller's office is really is really looking at you know kind of the the operations of of government, and they are a partner in identifying trends within within the Medicaid program um, that we then sort of follow on and conduct the additional work to validate those findings and to conduct the recoveries that, you know, ultimately benefit the program. So while we're all operating in the, we're we're all operating in the same space, um, you know, we're, we're, we're taking from that or we're drawing from that relationship and, you know, kind of carrying it forward in in our activities as well. So when we see a press release from the controller's office about something like, lacks oversight of Medicaid payments or something like that, something we get at least once a year in some form or fashion from the controller's office. 
does that mean those are issues that are completely new to your office, or are those things that you might already be working on in a parallel track? In many instances, um, you know, those are things that we're working on. We're working on in a parallel track. Um, you know, I, I, with regard to the con- the controller's oversight, I mean, they 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 tend to, um, you know, they tend to sort of identify, you know, both new trends that they're seeing within the program, as well as they're going back and they're sort of taking a look at what their findings had been in the past and seeing if those if those circumstances still continue. Um, you know, so in that essence, you know, where they're identifying something new, we're 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 interested in, you know, kind of going in and taking a look at the same at the same things that they're looking at, um, you know, in order to, you know, generate the recoveries that they're that they are sort of asking the state to um to take place. Um, where where they're sort of following on, we're we're also interested participants to sort of see, you know, if they're seeing the same things, um, you know, and maybe we're, um, you know, there's additional activities that need to occur. And finally, does being the Medicaid inspector general, even in an acting capacity, come with a dress uniform or do you just get to wear a coat and tie to work? Just a coat and tie. Is that disappointing? Uh, No. Well, we've been speaking with Frank Walsh. He is the acting Medicaid Inspector General. Frank, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. We really appreciate it as well. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.